I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Stan Wawrinka, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. And welcome to the Tennis Podcast associated with The Telegraph and supported by BNP Paribas. But today, once again, we are not supported by Mr. David Law because though he's feeling slightly better, he is still slightly under the weather. So uh, he's abandoned Simon Briggs and I to it once again. I'm Catherine Whitaker, working for Live at Wimbledon here. Simon Briggs, The Telegraph's tennis correspondent. Another busy day for you and a busier one coming up tomorrow with Andy Murray in action, I would presume. Well, I didn't actually write any live tennis today. There was so much preview material. I kind of worked with Greg Wazeski on his column as well. Um, so I was watching the, the games, but I wasn't actually uh, sort of on the court. Greg's written some really interesting stuff in his... Or you've written some really interesting <laughs> we, stuff. We you've you've, uh, you've interpreted the mind of Greg Rosetsky very well this fortnight because uh, very interesting stuff, particularly about the Andy Murray drop shot, that sort of thing. Can you give us any kind of uh, sneak peek into what Greg Rosetsky might yeah. have to say for himself tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's mainly a, a preview of the men's semifinals and his view is that uh, the four highest seeds are all going to win and that for him that almost confirms the um, arrival of a new big four in which Rafael Nadal for the moment has dropped out and San Vavrinka if he reaches his first Wimbledon semi-final and thus backs up his amazing achievement at the French Open will have said I am here I am going to be competing in every slam I'm going to be dangerous uh, you know take me seriously but it's absolutely no uh, he's probably the, of all the four top seeds, Stanford Rinker is probably the one that's least nailed on. If any of them are nailed on, that's probably doing a disservice to the other three's opponents. But him against Gasquet, that's tough. And uh, to regurgitate the wise words of Mats Volander once again on the Live at Wimbledon coverage, his uh, really insightful analysis is that Stanford Brinker's return of serve on grass against a mid-pace serve around about 115, 117 miles per hour, he doesn't know what to do with it. He can't be aggressive mm-hmm. on it, but he also doesn't quite have the time as he does on clay to really take a big swing at it. And Richard Gasquet's serve is almost always exactly <laughs> in that in that wow. speed area. So very technical analysis here on the uh, tennis podcast. Second hand, courtesy of Mats Volander. But I thought that was really quite interesting. The return of serve could be very key tomorrow, I think. Well, uh, I can't match that in terms of technical detail. What I would say is that I have a statistic for you, which is there's only one man in the men's draw who hasn't dropped a set. 
Stan Wawrinka. Stan Wawrinka, yeah. So uh, he has obviously, he's not looked all that glamorous, I don't think, but he's got the job done. I mean, and so uh, maybe technically he might not be the best player tomorrow, but between the years, I reckon he might have it over Gasquet, who, as we know, has never really shown himself to be the strongest character. Very interesting. Now, first up, probably very. it's a very kind order of play for you, I'd imagine, tomorrow. Are you pleased to have Andy Murray against Vashek Pospisil first up on centre court? Is that ideal for you in terms of uh, filing your copy early, as early as possible? Yeah, we think that's going to be a quite fast match. Uh, that could be a jingoistic pro-Murray view, but let's be honest, Pospisil is a bit fortunate to be here. Look, he's deserved it, but who has he beaten? You know, Ferrer disappeared from that uh, area of the draw. Rafa got taken out by Dustin Brown. He's beaten Troitsky. He did a really good job, but he's played 31 sets already, playing singles and doubles. His only area, uh, Greg would suggest, where he has an edge on Andy would probably be in the serve. Maybe a slightly better serve than Andy, but uh, in every other department, you'd think he'd be overmatched and probably a bit leg-weary. So I think it's going to be a relatively smooth affair. Well, that's where Andy's brother Jamie has done uh, done Andy a bit of a favour there, isn't it? Because Vasek Pospisil was on court for close to six hours yesterday, played ten sets of tennis all on the same court. And, of course, Jamie Murray is backed up with John Pierce that victory over the reigning uh, Wimbledon doubles champions Sock and Pospisil with a victory over the eight seeds today. How fantastic is that for those two? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Jamie has won Wimbledon in mixed doubles, but it's never quite the same. Uh, as uh, the men's, which uh, he's never reached the semi-finals before, so that's um, yeah, let's say let's say Andy wins tomorrow. How amazing to have both Murrays in the semi-finals! That is totally out, outrageous, incredible achievement. And one one wonders, could this be the year they both make it to the O2? How big a story would that be in the Telegraph if they were both to make the Wimbledon final? How much coverage would Jamie get? Yeah, I think probably a lot on the basis that uh, we know almost everything there is to say about Andy, so we will be telling it again, but uh, there probably is um, more new material to go over with Jamie just because he's um, not been quite at the business end of this tournament for a a, a couple of years. But, uh, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling, isn't it, to have two two sons achieving on that level? It's hard to really put it into words certainly mind-boggling for Judy Murray I'd imagine she's pretty pleased tonight second semi-final second quarter-final excuse me up on centre court tomorrow is Novak Djokovic against Marin Cilic very interesting this one Marin Cilic snuck through the draw looking in really good shape Djokovic by his standards looking in less good shape but their head-to-head is about as one-sided as it gets isn't it yeah, there was a five-setter here uh, last year, though. That was a, a pretty close match. Um, Greg's w- w- theory on Novak was that he was surprisingly conservative first two sets against Kevin Anderson. Uh, you know, he, he's been, throughout, through this, this ascent to, to his runaway position as world number one, he's really been putting uh, opponents away and just, just not giving them any chance to, to really play against him. But that wasn't the case. He really let Anderson do what he wanted for the first two sets. Only when he was... Back to the wall, did he bring his real game to, to bear? So Novak, strangely listless, really, uh, against Anderson. Against Chilich, that could be fatal if he does that again. Um, we're kind of looking for him to step up and say, I'm the defending champion at this point tomorrow. Very interesting. Court one sees uh, first up Gilles Simon against Roger Federer. First of all, do you think Roger Federer will be annoyed to be playing yeah. his quarterfinal on court one? He's not played on court one yet, has he? Well, and, and the last time he played a, a, a quarter-final here on court one was 2005. So, yeah, that was a difficult decision. I mean, we were talking about it, and it's hard because 
uh, Murray obviously the home favourite, and then you look at the fact that Chilich and Djokovic between them hold three of the four slams. And that Djokovic was on court one, of course, through his last match, and that didn't work out too brilliantly for him. So what are you going to do? I mean, if you, if you vox pop the fans, they probably say, we'd like Andy and then Roger, or vice versa in order. I mean, it doesn't really matter which order, but the point is uh, they, they might not have asked for the Novak match, but he has earned it, and, and, and Chilich has earned it. These are um, reigning slam champions, and I think maybe they made the right decision. Very interesting. He's up against Gilles Simon. Does Simon have a chance? Uh, we don't really think so. I mean, uh, I haven't actually been through it, but I, I, I've heard that if you add Federer's statistics throughout this tournament, he's he's actually been the most efficient of all the players, even though he has dropped a set, which um, Stan hasn't. And Simon is, is is the kind of the marathon man. Greg's take a little bit on the Burdich match, actually, following up on yesterday's slightly critical podcast verdict on Thomas Burdich was that he's not actually 100%. He may be struggling with the back, and that may have been a factor in Paris. We can also update that he lost a songer in Paris. If you were listening to this show yesterday, he couldn't remember, could we? I think I said Monfils with a question mark. Anyway, uh, Burdich um, getting a sort of a, a bit of a um, an off games card from Greg on that, which, which may may reduce our, our, our criticism of his last two rather limp exits. Did Burdich not mention that in press? Then was he uh, too sportsmanlike to mention any kind of ailment in press? Because obviously that that's one of those issues. Uh, do you, even if a player is genuinely injured, is it unsportsmanlike to then say so in press following a uh, a loss? I, I wouldn't go so far as to say unsportsmanlike. I would say it's more sort of a player protocol that they, they, they try and show each other respect. The, the the starting position probably should be you go on court, you fit, and and, and, and it, you, you take it from there. Okay, and uh, finally up on court one, Stanford Brink and Richard Gasquet. We've been over that. It sounds like both you and Greg are picking Stan for that one, which would mean all four of the top seeds into the semi-finals. And from there, from there what? Well, I don't think we need it really to go there yet, but I mean, obviously, if you're looking at Murray v Federer and Novak against Stan, I mean, that's a pretty... Uh... Boy, that would be tasty, <laughs> wouldn't it? That's what I mean. I mean, is that the dream semi-final lineup, really, from this point? Yeah, because they both have such a history as well. And, and uh, I mean, I really enjoyed writing the piece about Stan and Novak before this tournament started. Uh, what an unbelievable series of matches they've had. What a beautiful contrast of styles. And maybe we should switch to the uh, women's quarterfinals on that note because some really wonderful contrast of styles today, I thought. Absolutely. Really interesting. Well, yeah, absolutely. We've dealt with tomorrow, but let's look at today because uh, we had four new quarterfinalists in the women's side and all of them pretty much performed really, really well on their big stage, didn't they? I thought, I mean, Tamea Bashinsky, the only one to lose in straight sets, but still didn't particularly underperform. She was just outplayed by Garbini Muguruza, who's a real revelation on the grass, I think, at this tournament. It, uh, her first time on grass in Nottingham three years ago, she described the experience as really weird. And here she is reaching her first Grand Slam semi-final on grass. How amazing is that? Yeah, perhaps a little bit like um, the uh, the cow on ice with uh, the famous quote of Sharapova on clay. Uh, I mean, there, there might be some similarities there. They're both quite sort of tall, uh, statuesque sort of players with um, with with heavy power. I, I... Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The Muguruza match was the one I saw the least of. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, she's really build, building now on what we saw last year when she knocked Serena out of the French. I think that was her breakthrough win. And then she didn't necessarily... Um, make a really huge run the rest of the season so that's that's excellent to see her in the semis it is it is Re- performed exceptionally well today because as I say Tamir Bashinsky did not play badly Madison Keys losing to Agnieszka Radvanska did you see that one coming yeah I did predict that one I think if I'm right uh, I think Radvanska has played top tennis all the way through the grass court season after an otherwise very disappointing year uh, I was really intrigued to see what that match would look like, and it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, I think I think Madison Keys hit four times as many winners as Radvanska, but it was a it was a real sort of hare and tortoise effort in which Radvanska just outwitted her with the unbelievable touch and, and deftness she has. It was beautiful to watch, uh, a real cracker. I mean, there, and there were some brilliant quarterfinals today. I mean, I would say overall the women's tour is probably not as strong as the men's tour right now in terms of its public standing and match-by-match match levels. But when you get a day like today, it really proves its value. And it's hard to imagine that women's sport gets any better than it did today. Absolutely, because both the other two semifinals, which we'll come on to now, the two centre court, sorry, I keep saying semifinals, quarterfinals, both the two uh, centre court quarterfinals were sensational, weren't they? We just finished watching Serena Williams, the three-set specialist, Serena Williams, come through against Victoria Azarenka. It's like she needs to go a set down to find, to find that grit in her somehow, isn't it? Well, when you look at the level that she does then produce, maybe uh, it's hard to, to find that kind of... Um, formidable form off the bat but I mean the last game of the match she was actually getting beaten from the baseline wasn't she by Azarenko who was pushing very hard but she just nailed her aces on the lines and, and one, one serve which Azarenka swung at uh, and made no contact with and then sort of looked a bit like, like she was sort of laughing in, in uh, it wasn't even like she was embarrassed she just thought it was she found it quite amusing that she'd had a complete swing, lost her balance, and made no contact with the ball, which she thought that she was onto, and it just went whistling past her racket. She had a look of complete impotence on her face, didn't she? Just, I mean, I'm playing brilliantly, and she's just serving like this, a bit like Maria Sharapova looked like she felt in the Australian Open final. Uh, and talking of Maria Sharapova, Serena Williams, I'm sure, will be delighted <laughs> with the fact that her semi-final opponent will be Maria Sharapova, despite the fact that she's a former champion, despite the fact that she's a fourth seed, Serena Williams has beaten her every time they've played in 11 years, which is just one of the most incredible stats in tennis, isn't it? It's the rivalry that isn't, and obviously Serena doesn't particularly get on with Maria, and and, uh, I think she'd almost rather... Uh, beat Maria and not win the title and then vice versa sometimes. Do you really think that? <laughs> well, that's possibly an exaggeration, but uh, she does care uh, enormously about that record, I think, and, and revels in it, probably. And she must wonder how it is that, that Sharapova always dwarfs her in, in, in the kind of Forbes earnings uh, that are compiled at the end of each year. Um, 
So Sharapova so has tried to overcome it. She went to an analyst a few years back. She actually commissioned someone to try and, and, and statistically break down their matches. And, and she was given a game plan that involved trying to hit it down the middle so that she didn't bring into play Serena's unbelievable running winners. Uh, and it got quite close. You know, she, she, she plays some decent matches against Serena. But when Serena is under pressure, she has this ability to hit aces. And then, and then the, the racket's out of your hand. It's a little bit like the Karlovich scenario. So how much of that unrivalry, as uh, esteemed New York Times journalist Chris Clary calls it, he describes their rivalry as an unrivalry, how much of that would you put down to the technical, the tactical that you've just described, and how much of it would you put down to the mental, which is she knows going onto the court every time she's not beaten her in 11 years? Uh, yeah, I, I think Sharapova hasn't been... Poor, so I don't think that she's giving up those matches. All I, all I really think is that they are pretty well matched when they're both playing on their best level. But on a physical level, there's a mechanical issue because Sharapova's shoulder has never recovered from the reconstruction it had in 2009. Her serve is not stable. And on the other side of the net, you have the best server in the history of women's tennis. So it doesn't matter uh, how close she pushes Serena from the back and they are evenly matched in rallies, she just can't get over that, that massive advantage that her opponent has. And if Serena um, delivers, which she knows that she, she's so pumped up to play her every time, there's just no way past those, those numbers. It's, it's, it's a numbers game, and it's a numbers game that comes down to the serve. And a quick word from you on uh, Coco Vanderway, the uh, the lady that Marina Sharapova beat, but did not beat as straightforwardly as it looked like she might have done in that first set. Uh, how big do you think her future could be? Because uh, it's interesting, Coco Vanderway was asked uh, once she had reached the quarterfinals how pleased she was with that result, how delighted. And she said, yes, I am pleased, but... I see myself achieving so much more. She said, this is a step along the way to an achievement rather than an achievement in itself. Vanderway, not blown away. That's right. Terrible, isn't it? Uh, I, I hadn't seen her until today, so I turned her on. I was like, what, what's happening here? This is the clay court player. I mean, I, it's, her game is totally inappropriate for grass. <laughs> and here she is doing so well. So that shows, she... that shows how far she can go. I mean, the one thing that she does do on grass is she gives it a terrific clout. So it does fire through the court. But she has huge looping spin. She's got a kick serve. Great athlete, though. Well, movement not, not that great. Just strength like, and... Good enough. But the movement clearly her weakest suit. And I think that's something that they, she has obviously improved. It's a little bit of a Laura in that sense. You know, if she gets... Uh, Laura Robson, if she gets to the ball, she just delivers a total clout. But with more, a lot more spin. So um, I look at her and think she's a French Open champion in the making, not necessarily a Wimbledon champion in the making. I mean, or right, I'm not saying she'll necessarily win a slam, but the game is just built for clay. It's, it, I was amazed by how spin-heavy it was. Amazing. Okay, very interesting. It was spin heavy, of course, does well in the wind, and it was a bit breezy out there today. So, uh, anyway, I hate to do this to you, Simon, but I am going to finish on a predictions related note, which you no. perhaps aren't going to enjoy. Just a quick update for you. David, I can't believe I'm doing this because David's in the lead with 65 points. Apparently, he's doing very well at predicting the number of sets. I think that's where we're letting ourselves down, Simon. Me, less so than you. I'm on 62, and you are very close behind with 61. And some of my 62 points from today have come from the fact that my wildcard prediction was bang on. Igor Dimitrov, early loss and a split with Roger Rashid. What do you make of that? <laughs> did you predict the split with Roger Rashid? I certainly did, Simon, yeah. Oh, right. And yet I'm still only on 62 points. I feel like I should get about 50 bonus points for that. 
Yeah, that's a pretty smart one. I mean, uh, I, I went a bit silly, didn't I? I, I, went, I thought I was going to do something offbeat. The, uh, the, the Rashid thing has been coming, hasn't it? So you, you were clever to bring that one up. He, he's, he's not necessarily got on with uh, Grigor. I'm not sure how well he's got on with Maria either, who, <laughs> who comes as part of that package. So um, Who should Grigor employ now? Uh, he needs a super coach. And the question is, how many supercoaches are left on the shelf? They've all been, been a massive raid on, on supercoach emporia all over the, the tennis world. So. Who's, who's on the shelf then? The, there's the ones that are, haven't yet been tapped up. There's a McEnroe, there's a Navratilova. She's out there for the taking. There's a Volanda. Oh, now you're talking. Yeah, that would be an awesome combination. I like the sound of that. I mean, I think I do, get, I do feel McEnroe is a bit haywire for, for that job. He might be going for the Kyrgios job. <laughs> okay, so mentalist squared, yeah. Um, There's two big coaching jobs open in tennis at the moment, aren't there? It's really interesting. I hadn't thought about Kyrgios. He's, he's, um, he, he got rid of Larkham before the tournament started, didn't he? You know, he, he uh, likes being coached by John Morris, who is his agent, uh, and somebody who he, he has a sort of, sort of, sort of foster-father relationship almost with. Um, but I don't think Morris sees himself as a, as a coach. I mean, he, he certainly wouldn't be called a super coach, and I don't think he really made it past sort of futures level himself. You trade in John Morris for John McEnroe. That'd be interesting. That would be interesting, yeah. Um, but Vilanda uh, uh, Dimitrov, I mean, the thing about Dimitrov is that he's got this beautiful game, and somehow he hasn't put the jigsaw together because when he gets close in matches... He hasn't got a, a route plan to get over the line. You watch the big guys, they know what to do on the big points and they always target the tactical area they've, they've, they've identified as the weak spot and uh, he hasn't found a way of, of being systematic enough. It's all a bit too improvisational, a bit too spontaneous, which is why we still think of him as an entertainer rather than a winner. He's not a problem solver on the court, is he? It's all fun. He's he looks sensational when it's all going his way, but it's when he needs to employ Plan B, Plan Plan C, Plan D, and surely a, a coach and a super coach is where that's going to come in. So, I mean, I, I find that aspect of uh, tennis at the moment really fascinating. Two of uh, of probably the most desirable coaching jobs in tennis, but possibly the two most poison chalice coaching jobs in tennis as well going at the moment. So it'd be really interesting who's willing to stick their head above the parapet and go for those two. Simon, thank you very much for joining us. It's Well, joining me, sorry. I, there's no David Law here. We do wish you well, David. We hope you'll be back tomorrow. But, Simon, thank you again for saving the Tennis Podcast listeners from a Catherine Whitaker monologue. We are the Tennis Podcast. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We are supported by BMP Paribas, the Bank for a Changing World, and we will, of course, be back tomorrow. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>